Yo, we're back at an instant analysis Saturday night. This is morning combat. Brian Campbell, one half of your MK weekly duo, or maybe three times a week. Or how about MK all day, nearly every day, along with that gentleman, Luke Thomas. But no need to pimp for likes or subscriptions or merch sales here. Let's get right into it. Undisputed championship bout Showtime championship boxing, 154 pounds. We, uh, we barked a heavy one this week that Jermel Charlo versus Brian Castaño had the potential to be dramatic, exciting, and competitive at the end of the day. And look, it was all three at the end of the day, and we're at the end of that day, and I'm tired right now, uh, BC, the BDE with uh, the BBC, uh, some kind of letter combinations there. Uh, I'm tired because it's the end of the night, and I got more uh, – baggage under my eyes than uh the international terminal at jfk oh um but i'm I, i'm tired of, of what became of this main event which was a dramatic fun you know not, you know almost great fight uh despite a low amount of output it still had big moments it was high skill it was a chess match and it was one hell of a performance from brian castaño and it's not the split draw, which was the result that I'm upset about per se, although I did score it 116-112 for Brian Castaño, despite uh, Charlo winning the last three rounds on my card, eight rounds to four overall for Castaño. Uh, I'm upset about the hashtag that's boxing stain that we have once again on another great fight. Now, is it disappointing that you, you watch a great fight and you don't get a winner? So, okay. Yeah. A little bit disappointing. If it was, if it was a little bit more even and competitive and it's a draw, you can't be that angry. Now, again, I said, I'm not here to argue about the draw, meaning I had an eight to four to Castaño. I thought you could even gone wider for Castaño if you had wanted to. And I'll get into those reasons why, but look, it's a close fight. A lot of close rounds. In fact, you know, a good three of those rounds in the middle, I'm scoring for Castaño in some ways based on, surges and flurries in the last 10 seconds so that sort of shows you that it's close so if you had it a draw or even if you found some kind of way to have it seven five charlo okay like like i'm not gonna be mad about it i'll say i would say at that point it was a disputed decision but when you get that absolute bullshit third scorecard that's almost copy and paste from the you know what's wrong with boxing playbook can i predict this coming in oh the more marketable fighter you know he's gonna somehow get the benefit of the doubt jermel charlo didn't get the benefit of the doubt he got all of it i mean he got all of the benefits he got 117 111 for that third scorecard and i do want to anytime this happens get the name right so we can spread that name around which is why we know uh you know certain judges in the past who have done that Nelson Vasquez's nine rounds to three scorecard in, in favor of Charlo is like so far off that it's not even like worth wasting the breath explaining why it's wrong or doing the, you know, Teddy Atlas like fueled overreaction of, you know, yeah, it, that's what it deserves. That kind of overreaction. It's a robbery. This is an absolute robbery. Again, not that it ended in a draw, but that we have another big fight like, you know, Canelo Golovkin won, where you get that one left field score, Adelaide Bird scorecard that it's, it's not, it's, it happens too often for it to be, oh, wow, bad night at the office for that well known judge. No, it's, it's, it's bullshit. It's, it's, it's past, uh, 
you know, being inadequate at your job. And it goes into that much darker territory. Nine rounds to three for Charlo is, is absurd. So that's what happened. And we get another that's boxing moment. A great main event on what was. Let's give Showtime credit, whether I crash checks from them or not. A fantastic triple header. I mean, this felt like big time boxing and the fights were competitive. They were fun. They were wild. This kind of stains, uh, you know, what was a great main event, mainly because you don't want your storyline coming out of it to be this controversy where the A side, who's the much more well-known name, you know, survives by the skin of his teeth in a way that that really doesn't make any sense that he could have. And now uh, we're, you know, we're spending time talking about rematch, but not even that passionately. Now, look, I do think we'd see, we will see a rematch. And I think you have to see a rematch. And, you know, at the end of the day, we get a second great fight between these two. I mean, look, they're getting paid. It's not the end of the world, but it's not the way the world should be. And we accept a lot of this shit in boxing because of the disorganization uh, this broken sport that we love, that we forgive all the time because it's it's so deep in our blood and it's such a freaking great sport that, you know, we get those morsels, we get that reminder, you know, we take a few beatings, but then once in a while, boxing will buy us a gold chain again and, and you know, prop us up a little and we'll, we'll, oh, you're like, oh, I remember that feeling, right? That feeling's great, yeah. Well, don't forget this feeling too. Like, it kind of ruined, you know, undisputed championship out. You saw a, a close... And fun fight, but you knew who outperformed the other. And to have a, you know, it's like anytime the situation like this happens, I would much rather have that had been 115, 113 across the board for Charlo. Still would have been the same disputed, still would have said Castaño, you know, got robbed or, or you know, got screwed or whatever. But it wouldn't have had that third scorecard, even though we're only a couple rounds apart on that third scorecard. I'd almost rather have three scorecards for Charlo that I didn't agree with than that one just middle finger of a scorecard to the sport, to the to everyone that tunes in. It, it's it's frustrating. It's it's freaking frustrating. And this is where we're at. And it's not that Charlo fought horribly, although I do think, although Castaño, I thought boxed brilliantly. I think the you know the major theme here is I don't think Charlo did enough. And that had be that had become a, a continuing trend of late. You know, the loss to Tony Harrison in 2018 was kind of explained by him not doing enough, despite the fact there was a lot of talk about disputed scorecards there. And it was a disputed scorecard. I, mean, I thought Charlie had won that fight, despite not looking great and not, you know, again, not doing enough. He didn't do enough in the rematch either, but to his credit, he turned it on and he got Harrison out of there. And there's been a few other fights, even the knockout of Rosario last year. I'm like, you know, Charlo's kind of a little too willing to give away rounds like this. So, you know, the storyline is that, you know, a great fighter, a pound for pound level fighter came out in a really big fight and didn't have his best performance and, and, and sort of, you know, left that Achilles heel open and let's give Castaño credit. He filled that, but we don't, you know, we don't get that storyline coming out of here. We're, we're instead talking about rogue judges, you know, Nelson Vasquez and, and you know, even Steve Weisfeld, who's a great judge and a, and a consistent and veteran. You know, he had a 114-113 for Castaño, so he got the winner right. But, you know, he scored round 10. Charles, maybe Charles' best round, probably his best round, when he clearly, you know, had Castaño hurt with that, with that huge left hook off the ropes where – Charlo had his back to the ropes and countered with that left hand. And then he backed Castaño up with big right hands, but didn't knock him down. Didn't look like he was, you know, 
I mean, it looked like he was doing something, but didn't look like it, it was destruction per se. That's a 10-8 round from Steve Weisfeld. Now, it's a footnote now because it didn't affect the scoring. But could you imagine if, if that scoring of that 10-8 round as opposed to 10-9, which is what, what it deserved, you know, had prevented Castaño from winning or prevented him from getting a draw? It's... um. It sucks if you know if you're if your team you know if your team Argentina here and you it's like you almost didn't have a chance from the beginning. But uh, you know I, I'm not going to spend 30 minutes going down you know sitting in that shit puddle. But just know that it hurts me. Like you know I hurt myself today watching this. Okay, um, Johnny Cash. No, no, no. I don't even like that for you know that of that cover. I, I think that's a, just a weird, gross song. So, you know, I'm sorry. Right. Good job, Rick Rubin, but not, you know, whatever. Um, all right. Let's talk about what Castaño did um, in the biggest fight of his life. He was great. I mean, he was freaking great. Okay. Was he aided by Charlo almost not playing to his strengths enough? Yes, he was. So here's the deal. Charlo is such a dangerous counterpuncher. Charlo did a great job, by the way. The first three rounds, even though I didn't give them all three, uh, I give two of them, I think, to Castaño. But Charlo did a great job early of just lowering Castaño's output. So Castaño wasn't able to be that full-on pressure fighter that he is all the time. The guy he was against Irislandi Lara. Why, even though he was, he turned out to be the aggressor in this one. Why was he not that? Because Charlo's power is freaking for real. No one's doubting that. He's uh, his his speed and power and accuracy and ability to quick twitch get at you. I get why he gets seduced by his own power, but he got really seduced by his own power in this one because uh, Castaño's had the perfect balance where he made sure he was the aggressor so that, the, that I didn't think there was a, a doubt on the judges scorecards. In fact, in those middle rounds of some of those key ones, like four five, six, I thought it was Castaño's flurry late in every single one of those that stole a close round. But even more than that, he balanced responsible defense for a guy who's known for being a two fisted aggressor known for sometimes squaring up a little too much inside, leaving himself open. There was none of that. Castaño's defense in footwork was fantastic. It was super elite. Uh, it was great. And he figured out a way to find a weapon where it's not easy. You know, look, Charlo's got great defense. It's not easy to land on Charlo. I think that's why he's able to be so efficient and effective in that counterpunching role. Even if he's not throwing enough, he typically gets the knockout in the end or wins the round just by landing the bigger shots because he's so great at that. But Castaño found a way to work in sort of that looping lead right hand that that consistently landed in, in really set Charlo off. It was a punch he would he would get surprised at. He didn't see it coming, and it sort of just would it wouldn't hurt him as much as it would just sort of offset him. And that's when uh Castaño would find the openings to to do what he couldn't do normally, which is kind of square up a little, come in and start to throw combinations. And not all those combinations landed. Again, you know, uh Charlo's defense was very good, but you know, enough did, and those were the significant bursts of output in these rounds. So Castaño was brilliant in his boxing. I didn't think he had that same type of technical prowess and IQ, you know, that Charlo does and that, and that he would have needed. I thought he was a overachieving, not brawler, but overachieving pressure fighter in some ways. No, no, he's he might be the real damn deal here. And, uh, and he showed a great chin despite getting rocked a couple of times in this fight and he never went down. This was a great performance for the uh, I'm, I'm looking down because I'm checking out the CompuBox stats over 12 rounds. Again, CompuBox doesn't tell you who won the fight, but it certainly can help support your argument and help help get some clarity. Uh, 
Castaño outlanded Charlo 173 to 151 overall. But here's the key in power shots, 164 to 98. So Castaño landed 173 overall, and 164 of those were power shots. That's an incredible percentage. So this is not a guy who really worked hard to establish his jab. He didn't. But here is a guy who, who put a lot into his shots. He went to the body a lot on Charlo, which I think in those middle rounds was having its, its way there. And just, you know, a surprising performance. I, I thought I, you heard my preview. I told you that this was a possibility that he could outwork Charlo or that he could be in this spot. But to see him do it this way without needing to take a ton of punishment, and he didn't. He didn't take a ton of punishment. Um, that was great. Now, what Charlo did wrong was he abandoned his jab a whole heck of a lot, too, too easily in a lot of ways. And worse, Charlo pinned himself on the ropes repeatedly and allowed Castaño to, to, to set up these sequences where both fighters are pawing but not committing and they're trying to make the other one uh, throw and they're trying to feint to pull something out of the other. But, you know, usually it would be Castaño that would end these little dance-offs by getting off three punches. And again, you know, two of the three are typically getting blocked, but the ones are getting through and those are adding up. And they were, he was able to start freezing Charlo by doing that little faint dance and then was able to sort of easily push him to the ropes. So what Charlo did wrong was way too willing to stay on the ropes. He doesn't have the same leverage on his shots and where it gives you that visual to normal judges. And it's not that these three judges are abnormal. And again, close fight, good fight couple rounds you could have swayed the other way but these judges missed i thought from me watching at home what 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 you should have saw what everybody else saw and that was you know maybe charlo certainly didn't have the urgency certainly didn't have the realization as this is becoming a a, a, a trend here and it's a trend i've talked to him about in interviews and other people have tried to bring up to him and he gets a little defensive or just sort of says well look my power takes care of it but it, it, i guess it is i don't want to say disappointing but it, it showed a uh a key weakness here in Charlo's overall game that he doesn't see the same urgency that he thought, well, you know, I was getting off and hitting some shots and he was, and by the way, with the rounds in which he established his jab and used it, it's quick. It's accurate. Even if Castaño's covering up it again, it gives that image that you are taking the fight to your opponent and some judges in their own strike zone, they overvalue aggressiveness all the time. So it's something you have to know coming in. And that's a little bit, of, I guess, pride and arrogance on Charlo's side to not see that, you know, this guy's doing some good stuff and I'm really not throwing much in return as I'm trying to. It's not that Charlo's lazy or, 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 or dumb. It's that he believes so much that as he's circling and playing the faint game that, you know, he's downloading information that he's getting closer to setting up that perfect fight ending or fight altering shot. But he has a, a, a blind spot and not being able to pick up and realize uh, that these rounds were a lot closer. And, you know, I, I kind of jumped on Derek James, who's the trainer of uh, Jermel Charlo uh, toward the beginning of the second half of the fight. I just didn't feel there was enough urgency in the corner to Derek James credit. He picked it up late and, you know, he's straight up telling uh, Charlo, like, look, they got you down on this, you know, on the unofficial scoring and you're down by like three rounds. And Oh, by the way, like you need a knockout to win. And so here's the deal. It's like, Charlo responded to that perfectly in round 10. Again, he hurt uh, uh, Castaño and, and seemed to be close, like I said, to getting a knockout or a knockdown or, or, you know, even be close to stopping him. But there were even per points in that round where I feel like Charlo 
took his foot off the gas a little bit too much. And it's not that I would question, does he have three minutes stamina or 36 minutes stamina? No, of course, it was incredible shape. And I've seen him in some fights in which he's had to throw a lot more. And that's not the question here. But I thought even in 11 parts of 12, even though I scored the final three rounds for Charlo, and I'm comfortable doing that, even though they were close. Um, you know, there was a, the difference in this is Charlo didn't fight like he needed the knockout to win, even though his corner was saying that. He was still fighting like, I just need to win the rounds. Now, you know, you can make a full-on argument. Hey, BC, stop crying. He kind of saved the day, right? He won the last three rounds on all three scorecards, and he prevented a loss. Yeah, but he, he had to take a draw. He had to take a controversial draw. So, you know, I, I, they were talking on the broadcast, you know, you hope mandatories don't get in the way, you know, and that's... Look, the reason why you don't see a lot of undisputed championship fights in this modern era is because they're they're hard to do. First of all, because you gotta you know you win one, you gotta win three more. But in a lot of ways, uh, the sanctioning bodies don't typically make it easy for you to do that. And why? Because they don't you know all of them don't want their titles uh, clogged up in one person. What if that person's taking you know some time or or is not fighting that active? And and what does that mean? It means every time a fighter who's a defending champion wears that belt to the ring and calls themselves a champion, they have to pay a sanctioning fee. I mean, it's really like the, the mafia-like business here. They got to pay a, a sanctioning fee, which is a percentage of their purse, which is why at certain big fights, Canelo and Floyd at certain times when he was angry at, at the sanctioning body was, was like, I'm vacating this title and I'm not fighting for it, so I don't have to pay you the, the – because I'm making so much money on this fight that I don't want to pay you the sanctioning fee. And there were times um, – when the PBC first launched where certain fighters like Danny Garcia, that for, for almost no reason, they'd fight one pound above their weight division. And it almost didn't make sense. And I'm wondering sometimes if it does that have something to do with not paying sanctioning fees. I don't even know. But the, the whole point here is that that's why the sanctioning bodies have power. And that's why they so badly want their belts being defended often so they can keep making money, especially from the fighters who make larger purses, because that's a higher percentage of that. And, uh, Oh, sorry. I, I mean, I, I, I'm going to keep having these just, you know, ugh. so because of that, we don't tend to see a lot of these undisputed fights. Uh, that's why, you, the, you know, WBA creates the stupid regular champion and the interim champion, and the vacant interim champion. It's, it's all bullshit for extra money and extra sanctioning fees. Yet we got through that bullshit and we had an undisputed championship fight. We just had one at 140 and, you know, we just had one a couple of years ago at Cruiserweight and we're in this like good role right now. Uh, it's like a trend. And it's great, but what makes it hard or what makes it hard to do a rematch right after is that, you know, the mandatories are due and the sanctioning bodies put sometimes these like really quick turnarounds and, you know, you must defend the title by this time. And sometimes it's great when you want to see a fight. Other times it's sort of like, it makes no sense because typically who's the mandatory, some guy you never heard of from a lot of times from some country. And you look at his resume and you're like, there's no way this guy should deserve this title shot. And why is this guy not ranked? In any of the other sanctioning bodies, only this one, and he's number two. And even though I've never heard of him, and he's from, you know, some random country and has never fought out of that country. Yeah, boxing's full of shit, man. As the great Paulie Malignaggi used to say, there's a lot of that. Yet again, we swam through that shit, and we got four titles on the line in one night. And not only did we not get an undisputed champion, I don't know if there's a guarantee that we're going right back into a rematch and, and that's, that sucks. So let's hope we can get that secured. Let's hope Jermel Charla would look at this as a, 
as a almost like a blemish as a as a negative survive in advance yeah you survived in advance but it's a negative it's a it's a you escaped and then and you know you can argue that over time people don't remember the specifics as much and you know if charlo never loses again is everyone going to bring it up i don't know dude floyd's unbeaten floyd mayweather and i thought he lost the first fight to castillo and you hear a lot of you know hipster boxing fans always bringing that up and jose luis castillo and 50 and one you know 49 and one and all that floyd lost that time nobody else talks about it but the hipsters right no you know you got you got people all the time now regularly on camera saying floyd's one you know arguably the greatest fighter of all time which you know floyd's among the greatest but he's not he's he's not you know the best but now there's talking heads all the time sort of casually saying it those same talking heads don't bring up the castillo fight so my point on that long ramble is we may not talk about this, especially if these guys don't fight again. This may just be looked at one day as a, oh, remember that draw? Yeah, yeah. Didn't 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 Charlie get a whack scorecard? Oh yeah, you know. And and I think that's what happens too often is that this happens too often, and then nothing changes. Why? Because some of the state commissions are inept. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. But uh, why? Because we don't have a organized national sort of you know, uh, yeah, sanctioning body. No, yep, that too. But uh, I think one of the major reasons why this keeps happening, meaning these rogue third scorecards and then that same judge keeps coming back is, yeah, lack of accountability within the state commission. Some people think, you know, are they taking loaded envelopes too? And all that? I mean, look, there's a lot of bullshit in boxing. But I think the biggest problem is that the commission does not answer for it afterwards every single time in a mandatory setting. What do I mean by that? If there's a controversial ending with a referee or in this case, a judge on a like rogue scorecard, uh, 100%, I believe the judge should have to go at the press conference after on camera in front of the media and face the music. You know, it's what happens in baseball when there's, remember that umpire that blew that call at first base on that no hitter or perfect game like 10 years ago. Uh, there was a play at first, you know, exactly what I'm talking about, even though I can't remember the teams or the pitchers involved. Uh, but you know, that guy did a shit ton of interviews afterwards. Like he should have to just explain it. And he ended up, you know, saying I blew it. I just need these judges to when they're in these high profile play spots for big money and they make good money. And, and when they screw up this badly, I, I need them to face the music and I need the athletic commissioner right there too. And even if nothing, let's say gets done on to match the outrage, meaning there's not suspensions or, you know, people removed from their jobs or whatever, at least there's public accountability. At least you're going to go, Oh, I know that name and that face. And Oh yeah. Remember those excuses he gave? None of those made any sense. Um, I think it's a step forward, but this sucked. Yet the fight was great. And uh, that's boxing. Hashtag that's boxing. And by the way, uh, we'll get into this more in morning combat on Monday, but in that co-main event, Raleigh Romero, Rolando Romero, he knocked out Anthony Yigit in a wild, sloppy fight and uh, a lot of fouls. Uh, dude, this was Roley Romero 101 in terms of why he's becoming like a train wreck variety must see tv he's just a different dude whose mind is in another lane and he's got sick power and you know crude form and you can question a lot of things about his game but this dude believes in his power more than anyone i've ever met believes in anything right and you know after the win he's like man i want javante and i want him right now at 140 and i'm gonna knock him out i 
I love that spirit. I mean, bring, bring, bartender, bring that shit to me, please. Like, how do I inject that inside of, do I, do I have to grow a mohawk like uh, Vitor Belfort 2013 and, you know, eat testosterone all day? Cause uh, please, can I start acting like that? Um, you got to see more of them. So that was, that was fun in a, in a, in a fun three fights altogether. So that's our situation. We got, we got, we got a little on us. We got a stain. We got a little on us. Uh, by the way, at my wedding day, night, well, day, by wedding day, I wore white with white vest and white tie. Not a white jacket, though. I wasn't like that kind of asshole. If that was you, I'm sorry. But you know you're an asshole if you got married in a white jacket. But everything else was white. And uh, the first bite of this incredibly great catered penne a la vodka you know, I'm just like, man, hitting at the wedding table, you know, that you're it's euphoric and you're throwing down drinks and you just got hitched, man, you know, and everyone's there for you. And the DJ is playing badass music and first bite. The 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 uh, the pasta, the penne, you know, which is like bright orange, just just I, I must open my mouth and and it just I, I must have come up like when you shoot a free throw and you come like a foot and a half short and you're just like. Uh, yeah what do you want from me dude what do you want yeah go ahead go ahead off with my head please you know kill me uh but uh that was uh a massive stain across my tie shirt vest on a white tie shirt and white vest you know he, he could sell ketchup popsicles to a woman wearing white gloves uh no, the, the, the ketchup got all over the penne got all over me and you know there's a pit crew of aunts and grandmothers and and, you know, it's like I'm like this patient and they're just oh, one of they're just they're scrubbing it out, trying their best to get that out for the uh, I think we'd already taken pictures. But, you know, the rest of the night you'd be dancing. You have your jacket off. You, you know, you don't want to see that shit. And uh, that's what happened to us tonight with uh, thank you, Nelson Vasquez, for for handing in that scorecard because you you just, you know, you, you just spilled penny olive vodka all over our white vest and tie and shit. Um, only it wasn't penne, it was shit. Okay. You, we got shit on. Hashtag that's boxing. My name is Brian Campbell. Hope you enjoyed the fights because I did, despite the ending. Seen this movie end this way, you know? It's as if, like, imagine if every movie in Hollywood watched that awful, awful movie, Million Dollar Baby, with that awful swerve ending. And we're like, that's the new ending, bro. All the movies are going to end that way. We've seen this before in boxing. Probably to see it again. Hope to see you again, though. My name is Brian Campbell, and I'm one half of Morning Combat. Hey, it's you. Yeah, it's you. There you are. You're there. Uh, that's it. Thank you. Thank you for being a friend. You know? Travel down the road, back again. Yeah. All right. We out.